0: Hi everyone, welcome to Talks. Today I'm here to feature a guest speaker for APTI's summer conference. And so if you don't know what the APTI is, I'll have it linked below. I am helping them with promoting their event happening at the end of July. And the theme of the conference will be personalities in relationship. If you're interested, check out the links below for more information. So without further ado, we will go to the video. Today, we have Rob and Carly Toomey from Type Coach, and we're here to discuss the ENTP and ESTJ dynamic in business and also in personal life. I'll have them both introduce themselves.
1: Sure. Joyce, well, thanks so much for having us. Uh, obviously, I'm Rob Toomey. Uh, you know, Carly and I have been running our business Type Coach, for the last 19 years. Uh, and along the way, we've learned a lot about what the sort of hardships are of working with different personality types in the context of both our entrepreneurial lives as well as our personal lives.
2: And I'm Carly Toomey. And uh, yeah, it's been a very fascinating journey. And I think um, in, in many ways, it's it's great for our business that we're that we're so different in personality type and also a bit hard on us. So we'll, we'll I'm sure, dive into that.
0: <laughs> Heck yeah, it's an honor to have you on. I'm also taking their master certification course right now. I'll link their wonderfulness down below if you want to check it out. And so Rob and Carly, you call each other stray cats. Like they're domesticated cats and stray cats. Maybe we could start off talking about that.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll take this one. So yeah, so we, we talk all the time about inside cats and outside cats. Uh, and uh, we probably didn't realize that we were both outside cats until we started this entrepreneurial journey. And by the the analogy is that inside cats are people who really feel comfortable inside an organization. They like to have you know, a support team around them, whether it's the IT team, the accounting team or whomever. And outside cats tend to value their independence more than being sort of part of that whole group uh, and are willing to put up with the uh, bumps and bruises you get along the way being uh, you know an independent person out in the world at large. So uh, I use that analogy a lot when I'm helping people in a career transition to say, hey, do you really uh, have what it takes to do the outside cat thing or are you more of an inside cat?
2: And I would add that once you, if you are an, are an outside cat, cat, the problem is that once you become an outside cat, it's very hard to go back to being an inside cat.
0: A few of there. And so I'm also an outside cat, so I can see the allure once you've done it successfully, it's hard to go back to being an inside cat. So totally, especially if you appreciate autonomy, flexibility, independence in your job, then it's very seductive to be an outdoor cat. Mm-hmm. All right. And so
2: what are the pros of working together in a business relationship? I can take this one. So um, I think one of the pros is that both both Rob and I uh, have have a personality type that likes to uh, extrovert thinking about ideas and concepts. And so, you know, that we we both sort of love to get into that um, back and forth thinking out loud let's let's just sit down and hash this out we don't have a fully thought out idea when we sit down but then all of a sudden it's just sort of like 20 minutes later it's like wow look what we just figured out um so i think it's it's super helpful to be working with him you know to be able to sit down and do that and we cannot stop by each other's office because we're both extroverts and nobody's nobody's annoyed by that and um I think if if either one of us were just trying to go it alone, that would be the hardest thing would be like, you know, no one to bounce ideas off of whenever you want, you know.
1: I agree. And the one thing that I'd add that's kind of been really central for our experience working together is sharing the victories. Uh, So when, you know, if you think about it, a husband and wife or partner of some kind, you know, if their spouse comes home from a really good day at work, they're like, okay, cool, whatever. Uh, if we have a really good day at work, we both were involved in it together and we share that victory. Uh, so we've had a number of situations where are like walking out of a client office and we're like doing the, the dance of happiness and high fiving. And it's really something cool to be able to share with one another. Uh, you know, it, I don't think a lot of people have that experience.
2: And we certainly never run out of things to talk about. So, you know, it may be that we have to say uh, out on date night, we're not talking about work, but There's there's endless topics of conversation if we allow ourselves to talk about work. And I'm sure that if we were married to other people who had different jobs, they would be very sick of hearing about type coach. Yeah. So it seems like the endless conversation
0: topics is shared among you two. You guys have a lot of energy to bounce ideas back and forth. That seems quite synergistic, the ability to have an endless amount of of ideas, especially on on Rob's side, too, with being an ENTP. And so I'm curious about the differences between the SJ temperament and the NT temperament in both of your interactions.
1: I'll I'll start this one off. So uh, I don't think one of the cool things about our experience, Joyce, is that we started out as really passionate uh, explorers in the field of personality type. the business piece was always secondary for us. We just, you know, our friends and family said, you've been talking about this personality type thing for years. You have to do something with it professionally. And so uh, that's really what carried us over from a a passing curiosity to then an intense passion to now, you know, an entrepreneurial experience of 19 years. Uh, For the SJ and NT thing, I don't think we appreciated heading into this journey how significant that difference was going to be. Uh, So, you know, the NT, we call them the conceptualizers, Uh, For us, it's about innovation and advancing and progressing things forward and coming up with new ways of doing things. Uh, And that can create some clashes with the SJ, what we call traditionalists, who's looking to make sure that the systems and processes are working and really has a tendency to want to stick with things that they've seen have been working before. Uh, And so there's a, a good tension between those two. But as Carly was suggesting at the top of the call, that can beat you up right? Because we're both pushing in a very different direction and we both tend to be fairly forceful uh, in our conviction that we're correct. And then one of the things that's really important to highlight about the temperament piece is this isn't some sort of superficial thing. This is a core values piece. This is like who we fundamentally are. And when there's an opposition at that level, it creates a lot more sort of emotional intensity. Uh, People don't have an easy time backing away from or going against their core values.
2: Yeah. So for me as an SJ traditionalist, certainty is a huge value, like just having the most amount of certainty possible and being dependable and reliable and responsible. And so, you know, for example, um, it's really hard for me to say, oh, I'm just going to try this brand new exercise with a group of people in a training program that I've never tried before and just, you know, hope for the best and maybe it'll work out and maybe it won't. And, you know, or let's just change our business model. We have all these consultants and partners who we work with, you know, we have hundreds of different consultants who use type coach and let's just change our business model. And, you know, we'll just see how it goes. Like the, let's see how it goes. Kind of can, you know, make me nauseous. And so we're, we're, there's this push and pull constantly of Rob being like, we, this is a, this is where we're going. This is this new idea, this new vision. We got to try this out, but there's always, at some point there's a leap that is very, very easy for him to make. And then I have to get past the hurdle and get, get the amount of details and information that will make me feel comfortable that it's going to work out, um, which drives him crazy.
0: Yeah. With the SJs, they tend to want to know the parameters of something. So give me the details and parameters so I can understand what I'm jumping into before I go on full, full force with this change. With the SJs, if they've never seen a prior success with what you're recommending, then it's like, well, everyone who's tried that before has either failed or there's no history of success. And so when I look at back at the past, it's not that promising. And that gives me a lack of certainty that this will work
2: out. So Off-roading is not really our specialty, whereas that's the NT conceptualizers like Rob are the ones who do the most off-roading. So I'm constantly like, no, back on the main road. Let's go back over here where other people have like carved the path. We don't need to be constantly beating, beating you know, our own new path.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, fundamentally it's a positive tension, right? If reconciled, this is a powerful thing for any entrepreneurial endeavor to have, which is two very different uh, positions two very different perspectives that uh, enhance the sort of combined perspective uh, if you're able to integrate and so like on our best days Carly and I are you know sipping a cup of tea and everything's peaceful and we're like, oh wow that's a really different perspective than I was thinking uh, and we're able to successfully and, and peacefully integrate it and other times when you know it's a little bit more intense in the business uh, there could be sparks right and th- it can be really like a Uh, Both of us seem to further entrench into our positions of difference. Uh, And then it's like, it takes a lot of work to excavate out of that sort of entrenchment and get back to a productive place.
2: And I would say that the, the other challenge between the two temperaments that really jumps out for me is um, for, well, you know, maybe this is, this is, this is one of the positives is um, how we, you know, how it comes out that we come up with ideas. So, um rob is often the idea guy he's throwing out all these different possible ideas he's super excited about all these different ideas and usually he's spent you know maybe 30 seconds thinking through of them before he wants to start talking about them and you know when you work together and live together you know and you're all in the same space it's very easy for him to be like getting coffee and like i just thought of something i thought of this idea and he wants, he wants my energy and enthusiasm to be really high when he comes up with these ideas. And of course, what do I want is, is a little more detail to even consider them, like to even, even know what we're talking about. I half the time. I'm just trying to figure out what he is actually, what is this idea? And to him, it feels like I'm trying to dive, you know, I'm taking him from this high level, exciting place down into this, like the weeds. Like, why are we going down there? We, I, this is a brand new idea. Like, can't we just play up here at the high level? Um, And so there's that always that tension and he sort of feels like, you know, maybe I'm a wet blanket sometimes. And I'm just like, I'm just trying to even understand what we're talking about. So there's that tension as well.
1: Yeah. I can add to that joy. So the, the thing that we've learned, and it's, it's obviously based in the temperament also on the SN dimension. So I think this would apply to anyone who's trying to bridge that gap is that the sensing type really wants to understand whether the suggested idea is feasible to then determine whether or not it's a good idea. Uh, and intuitives don't really need that determination. And so there's there's just a difference in how the sort of evaluation occurs. So Carly's saying, okay, so I hear what you're saying. If we did that, what would be the obstacles? Would it even work? Would it interface with our current systems and processes? Do we have the people in place? Is it unrealistically expensive? And these are all things that for the intuitive, we would say, we'll figure that out later. We wanna know if this is a good idea or not to then determine whether we should put more time and energy into evaluating it. And it's just a different process for sensors who are like, I can't evaluate it if I don't have a sense of whether or not it's feasible or not. Uh, And so, yeah. And I
2: think, I think we're just unlikely to want to spend a lot of time talking about something at the high level before we get into a few of those details. Like it's just kind of feels it feels like, what are we even talking about if we're not gonna go at least a layer down, right? Um, So he can stay up here for for a really long time, you know? And I'm like, I'm just trying to stay up there and smile. And I'm not entirely sure what we're talking about. (laughs) Um, And, you know, I wanna say, I wanna ask the how questions, but it's, um, you know, I've learned over the years that a lot of how questions kind of pop his balloon. So it's about when, when do we get into those details?
0: Yeah. And so it seems like with the intuitive, there is the Aristotle's perfect form, like, oh, I'm going to think about the perfect idea. And I'm going to keep trying to like, oh, this this could make a more perfect idea. Or, oh, there's this this element that is really interesting to consider that would make this idea even better. And then the sensing types like, but is that perfect idea applicable to reality? <laughs> and so trying to ground that idea in reality. And so I, I could see that and that could make a really good duo in work too. Cause if the ENTP actually does have an idea that the SJ finds is feasible, then the SJ is very good at the executing
2: and implementing of that idea if they care as well. And I think I think Rob's always said over the years that he he likes to present a buffet of ideas and he he sort of allows me to pick and choose which ones seem like, you know, front runners that that are going to make sense that we should go with. Um, so as long as he doesn't get attached to any of them, um, then we're good. And he's not he's not usually all that attached to any of them. So he's just constantly sort of providing them and then I'm sort of selecting and then running with. One at a time,
1: hopefully, although, although it feels lately like six at a time. <laughs> well, and I think one of the because the, um, Carly touched on a really important piece, which is timing. So recognizing that uh, there's a time and a place to get into the details and there's a time and a place to stay at the high level. And that works both ways. Right. So I have to say, all right, so now is the time for Carly to dig in and determine whether this is feasible. And that's going to be a key step in her getting excited and enthusiastic about the idea or collectively us realizing that it's not something we can pursue uh, right now. Uh, The other thing that's really sort of central to this whole sort of, I I think, uh, successful working relationship is this notion of intention. Uh, And so for us, recognizing that her desire to do this is not a good or a bad thing. It's not uh, intending to frustrate or annoy uh, or in the same way that like me bringing up a bunch of new ideas in the middle of talking about something completely different. Uh, it's not my intent to throw things off. It's not my intent to frustrate or annoy. I may still do so, um, but when you have an understanding that your partner is just coming at it from a different perspective, you have a lot more patience, uh, and so it takes a lot of the steam out of the situation. When you're like, "Oh, they're not—they're not intending to frustrate. They just, you know, happen to be wired differently."
0: And so, once you know about type, you don't take other people's actions as personal because you realize it's just a different approach. And so I wanted to go back to one of Carly's ideas, and it was about how ENTPs are not attached to their ideas, so they can give you six at once to think about, but it's okay if you pick and choose and you don't you don't implement all of them. And so, yeah, with ENTPs and ENFPs, they actually throw out ideas without having an attachment to them first. So for someone who is typically attached to their ideas, when they generate ideas, it's like, whoa, I thought when you said it out loud, you wanted me to do it. And so ENTP and ENFP managers, they might run into the challenge that their subordinates think they're serious about every single idea that they talk about, whereas it was just an idea and I needed to voice it out. Now, its I didn't mean for you to act on all of those ideas. <laughs>
2: Yeah. So true. And I, I've definitely found that to be helpful to keep in mind. Like I don't need every single idea doesn't need to be vetted. Like we can just talk about it and it's a fun little topic and then we can move on with our day. And it's not, you know, it's not a, it's not like an impending threat that he's going to be pushing this hard and that I'm going to have to now go do it. Like I can just let it wash over me. Um, and it, you know, I think on, on some days I can forget that. And, and I'm like, but that doesn't even make sense. That's not going to work for this. And so, what am I doing? I don't even need to bother with that. Like he just, we just want to chat it through quickly.
1: Yeah, the, when we coach ENTP leaders, often this is what we're teaching them and their teams, which is this notion of what we call ripeness. Uh, and so the team is empowered to ask the ENTP or INTP or ENFP, it's really the, the NPs who are most likely to do this, um, to ask them, is this something that is ripe? Are we supposed to be working on this now or are you sharing this idea because at some point between now and the next 18 to 24 months that should end up on our roadmap and most of the time it's in the latter category it's not something that we need to focus on right now and so the the sharing of the idea is to make sure that we don't lose that idea we want to make sure that we're thinking ahead of things and so the team can sort of easily try to categorize where the idea fits in the timeline and say do, so do we need to move stuff off our current to-do list to make room for this. And they're most likely going to be like, no, no, no. I just want to put it out there so that we have this new idea to consider. The only other thing that I'll add just personally is that the more often an idea comes up, the more connected to it we become. Uh, I do think that there's like a gravitational factor. So like if my brain keeps being drawn back to the same thing over and over again, then I start to see that there's probably something really there. Uh, And that's when this sort of uh, attachment factor comes in.
0: So that's a good thing to keep in mind sometimes people think that when an ENTP or ENFP or NP type is throwing at an idea they mean it and that you should prioritize it on your to-do list when, when they don't mean that and um that's also a good cue too if an NP keeps mentioning an idea over and over again it might mean that they actually are starting to to really care about this idea too so noticing repetition you can see the importance of what someone is saying like even with sjs if they want you to do something correctly they might repeat the repeat the way to do it so you that you do it in the right way the first
2: time and not mess up and bring it back to them (laughs) i mean we never do that do we rob
1: just a couple times just a couple times every hour i mean every (laughs) once in a while you should ask my kids about that
0: And the ironic thing is sometimes when SJs repeat commands or repeat how to do something, it makes the other person want to do it even less. So you'll have an even more rebellious person on the other end going like, because you told me it twice, I'm not gonna
2: do it. And then it creates an even more feud. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. I have I have definitely noticed that, that trend. <laughs> Especially if they're a rebellious P-type. Yes. Well, I, we have uh, a daughter who is 12, who's an ESTP and a son who's an ENTP like Rob 12 and 15. So uh, yeah, they do not love the repetitive um, mom comments and it definitely makes them less likely to, to take action. They sort of dig in
1: their perceiver heels for sure. It creates a polarizing effect, right? So the harder you push, the less you get. Uh, and both of them have an independent streak uh, a mile wide. and so if we if we cross that, you know, and it's for different reasons, right? So the NTs and the SPs have very different reasons for that independence being such a strong factor. Uh, but the the reality is in both cases, if you trigger that response, you're touching on a core value again, and you're gonna see that sort of uh, stronger energy.
0: That gives it a lot more compassion because the reason why people rebel it's it has to do with their core values. Because it might feel like when a person doesn't listen to you, hey, they just don't care or they're just being rebellious on purpose with no real reason. So we can discount why people do what they do. But when we realize that we're actually stepping over their core value, which is why they're not listening to us, it's like, oh, that was way deeper than what I thought the reason why you were not listening to me was.
2: Yeah, (laughs) taken as disrespect when actually it's really not it's it's much more about the, themselves and you know for example uh, there's so many misperceptions about the the temperaments and we actually just created a whole um segment of our training about this but for example um we sj traditionalists can often be considered to be micromanagers and under delegating and it can come across as a lack of trust and you know the misperception can be that we don't trust you to do a good job And actually, it can often be that we, you know, we have such a strong desire to have all the T's crossed and all the I's dotted. And, you know, it's when, as soon as you delegate, there's, there can be lost, there can be things lost in translation, you know, lost in the communication. And so we're really just trying to make sure that all the information doesn't, you know, doesn't get, nothing gets lost and that it all, you know, and so sometimes I feel like, all right, if I if I just quickly pass this off, I'm not I'm going to forget some piece that I was supposed to explain, and I'm going to, you know, there's going to be there's going to be all these miscommunications, and so maybe it'll just be faster for me to just do it, which of course you know, over time is not faster, um, but that's I think one of the challenges for SJs for sure is is delegating and, and making sure that they are giving people lots of opportunity to try new things.
0: Yeah, that is true. I think if you want things done in a certain way, then sometimes you have to do it yourself, because when you hand it off to someone, they might get one detail off that changes the whole entire thing and how it was supposed to be like. So then my question would be, how do you get an SJ to delegate or to feel comfortable that you will get all the details correct?
2: So I think it's a, it's a process over time. Like SJs are not the type to hire someone and then just start handing stuff over and just here you go and just take it and run with it. And here's the end result. And just, you can do it any which way you like. We're very into the training part. And so we take it really slow. So I think whenever I've hired people, we now have an eight person team. Um, I think every single one of them would say they were really surprised at how much, training there was and how gradual um the process was for them to kind of take things over but then i think once we trust people that they've got it and they're they're going to run with it and they're going to do ideally a better job than we would do then we're very likely to just start handing them all sorts of things Um, but there it's we don't just um trust um and then you have the opportunity to lose our trust it's the other way around and i think for someone like rob maybe you can share rob you're kind of the opposite
1: Yeah, it's funny because I was tracking towards the same direction, which is that notion of trust. So uh, my default is to trust people and then they can lose it. And Carly is suggesting that I think for a lot of SJs, trust is earned over time.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, And so if you want to get into their good graces, you have to start with something small and then earn your way up to it. Uh, Versus me, it's like, here's the whole thing. Uh, Let me know how it goes. (laughs) Uh, And then I'll be like, oh, wait, hang on. There's some lack of capability in a couple areas where we need to step in and be a little bit more hands on. Uh, So again, just a different approach, not one better or worse. But I would say that one of the challenges baked in for the SJs is that core values element, which is harder to navigate. Uh, So that notion of, oh, God, it feels really risky to pass this off. And I want to work really hard to be reliable and responsible. So there's like a a chafing between their core values and the desire to delegate. Uh, The only thing that I'd add to the process to get people to do it is to appeal to the letter uh, on the thinking and the feeling side that's uh, in play. So for Carly, uh, if I'm you know coaching someone who's an ESTJ on delegation, it's pointing out the logical consequences of not delegating, right? If this happens, this is the consequence, which is like either you're gonna work too hard or you're not gonna get promoted. Oh, geez, logical consequences. And if it's a feeler that I'm uh, coaching on this, so like an ESFJ or an ISFJ, the conversation is much more around you know, if you don't do this, then you're not going to be really giving your team the opportunity to develop. And so you're sort of showcasing the, the uh, personal ramifications of the non-delegation. And they're like, oh my gosh, I would never want that. And so that becomes the impetus for them to do the delegation.
0: That is a good way of going about it. So appealing to that F preference that they have can really help them with delegation. And so I'm wondering, are there any other differences in the workplace in your approaches? One of the things I can imagine is the ENTP might be quicker to implement or quicker to try new things, whereas the ESTJ might wanna make sure that all the T's and I's are dotted. And so speed of innovation might be a difference.
1: There's a lot of differences. (laughs) So, I mean, what we're edging into with that uh, sort of reference choice is the judge or perceiver difference. Uh, And so how we manage our time, how we manage our workflow, when the work gets done, uh, very, very different. Uh, and we always describe the judge or perceiver difference as kind of like death by a thousand cuts. Uh, it's not as substantial a difference as sensing an intuition where you really feel like you're bridging a, a pretty big divide. And it's not the core values with the sort of volcanic emotional energy of the SJ and the NT. But JP is the one that chips away at you day in and day out. It's the little annoyances and frustration. So, hey, Carly, I'll get that over to you by Friday and then I don't. Uh, right, I get it to her by Monday because I know that she's not going to do anything with it over the weekend, right? And so we have a frustration, right? And now we'll start to edge into some trust issues if we're not careful. Um, I think the one I want to highlight for us is that I tend to work in bursts of inspiration, uh, and Carly is a grinder. <laughs> so like she can sit down and just work for long stretches at a time without any interruption. In fact, you know, grab food, eat, work, you know, like all the same. And I work in pockets of you know intensity. Uh, And then there's a break and then there's go do something. And in fact, I can get an entire day's worth of work done by two o'clock if I have something to look forward after two o'clock. And so recognizing that difference has been very helpful for us.
2: For sure. Um, There's also just um, as you were talking about, Joyce, that speed of innovation. um, You know, the he's willing to roll the dice um, on things that I think are risky. Um, so there's just a, there's a big difference in our risk tolerance, um, which is related to, I think the, the NPN the SJ. And so there's, there's a lot of decisions that we make as business owners and, you know, I'm always on the, the more sort of, uh, conservative side and he's on the riskier side. So there's a lot of that healthy tension, I think, between us on, on things like that. And, um, part of that riskier side to me is. You know, kind of winging it in situations where I think a little preparation might be worth it. Um, you know, he'll do a lot, lot of winging it, like just showing up uh, for for programs, showing up for for conversations without a lot of prep.
0: Very well said, Carly. I find with some ENTPs, they like to say, "When I tell you I'm going to get it in by this time, it really is the best case scenario. So if everything goes right, then then that will be the time that I give it to you." Whereas for the SJ, it's like, when you, when you say that time, that actually means that time. <laughs> Death by a thousand paper cuts, that is so true. And so Rob, you mentioned the piece of, if this is not moderated, it can result in trust issues where the SJ starts to wonder can I trust this NT or can I trust this P to, to hand this in? And then it might create a further micromanaging on the SJ's part. It's like, all right, I feel like I have to control this. I have to herd this cat even harder. And then the NTP might rebel and submit it even later.
1: Yeah. You're, you're touching on some stuff that's certainly we run into. We see this with a lot of our clients where um, if, If the SJ feels like things are off the rails, they're going to take a more hands-on approach to ensure that they're back on the rails. Uh, And if they're not careful, they'll tread on the autonomy need. uh, And that's a core value for the NTs and also the SPs. Uh, And so often what ends up happening is they're gonna start to see some pretty strong reactions to that. Uh, And so like in the case of Carly and I, if if I've written a document or an email draft of some significance for a client and she gets too much in the wordsmithing category, um, I start to feel like my competency is being questioned. Uh, like, wait, hang on. I've been doing this for a long time. You don't think I can write an email, right? And that's the, the in, in, insinuation in her involvement there is that you know I can't be trusted to do it. When in fact, what she's trying to do is add value. Uh, and it's one of those things, Joyce, where on a good Tuesday afternoon, we're both sipping tea. Like I can be like, oh, I understand what she's trying to do here. But it's Friday night late. We're trying to leave. And like now she's going to work on my emails like that feels insulting, right? It's going right at that core value of autonomy. Uh, and so we've had to watch out for that one a lot uh, because again, it's, it's not the intent of the person, um, but it's still producing the result. <laughs> so I always like to make the distinction between, you can make an explanation, but it doesn't excuse uh, the situation. You know, you just have to not understand that the person's intent is in there. It still has created the frustration though.
2: And I think that's, that is, we go in waves, right? So when things are really calm and time is not, um, against us, then, you know, he's doing a really thorough job. I'm pretty calm and relaxed. I'm not feeling stressed about things being just right. And everyone's just going along their merry way. But when you add a bunch of time intensity, he's kind of winging stuff a little more, you know, throwing stuff together. I'm feeling like this tense as soon as there's stress, I'm like, wait, no, this has, we have to like get control. Right. And as soon as it's like, I need, we need to get control. Then it's like of everything, you know, it's just kind of, it's not rational because of course, when, when you have a time pressure, then you should actually be letting things go. But the ESTJ's tendency is to do the opposite and be like, all right, we just need to rein everything in. So it's the exact sort of perfect storm. And so we just, we just have these waves of that um, where it's like, all right, things are going off the rails. We got to get everything tightened up um and so i'm sure um you know other people on our team feel that too i'm like very laissez faire t- sometimes and then all of a sudden it's like things are not going right and now it's like oh we got to we got to tighten everything up
0: and so it seems like when there's a time pressure that brings out the darker side of everyone so personality conflicts tend to come up when there's some sort of stressor on top of two people's personalities So you might get along when things are very calm and there is no sort of deadline or project to work towards. But once there's a project, people's personalities start to show up even more
2: when you're heading towards a certain goal. And especially if there's a time crunch there too. For sure. And I think even more so for the judges, right? So time is a much bigger stressor for judges than perceivers. So it's often you know as soon as there's a little bit of like rushed rush to our conversations so one of the things we like to do is have our tactical meetings where we're having you know lots of let's let's sort of tackle a whole bunch of different issues and you know brainstorm and any of those I like to do those on Sunday afternoon because if I try to squeeze that into a particular window of time in the middle of a busy work day between phone calls, then that's when I start to be much less diplomatic, we're just much more intense in the, in the conversation, it just feels more argumentative, when we're just in a relaxed, like, listen, if this takes an extra hour, it's okay, attitude, then things just go a lot more smoothly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really well said. With judging types, they really want closure. And so they see time as finite. This is something that we need to work with. In fact, I would like to promote their certification program right now. So wait, I have a- the notebook right here. So in Robin Carly's certification, they have questions to figure out what type you are. And one of them is Do you tend to spend most of your time trying to be productive and have a hard time turning that off, just relaxing and accomplishing nothing? And so this is the judging choice, or do you find it easy to unplug and get into a relaxed state where you're not trying to cross anything off of your list? And so I could imagine this causing a lot of conflict because until the, the P type is inspired into that intense burst of getting things done, they can actually look lazy to the J type because there are periods of just
2: inactivity doing nothing, especially for an ESTJ and an ESTJ's eyes. You're spot on, and you know of the sixteen types, ESTJs are perhaps the most focused on productivity at at all times. Um, So we're, you know, it's not like any J. Like all the Js are on the side, like the ESTJs at the farthest end, and then you've got, you know, probably ENTPs and INTPs in some. You know, they're 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 definitely towards that other end. Um, so, and the need to be productive at all times. So as Rob said, he works in bursts of inspiration. So um, yeah, there's definitely moments where I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off um, and he's kind of very relaxed, we'll say. Um, and that can be a source of tension for sure.
1: I uh, for no comment at this time. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it is, it's absolutely true. And um, you know, there's a polarizing effect there as well. So the more calm I am, the more intense she can get. Uh, and vice versa, right? So like, it will often push away from each other when we see that level of intensity. Uh, I also, you know, I recognize that um, the, you know, the stressors that we experience can be quite different. So we can both see the same exact situation and respond very differently to it. So Carly might get stabbed about something that's actually exciting for me. Uh, So I look, I remember in the early days of the pandemic, since we've been trying to get our clients to move virtually uh, for years prior to the pandemic, The pandemic came along and I kind of had this excitement where the world was up for grabs, like all the status quo was gone. And there was an excitement that came with that. And Carly was like not psyched because of all the uncertainty that had been injected into our business. And, you know, what was what was going to shake out. And so just recognizing that there's a different set of triggers that produce a different set of stress responses has also been very helpful.
0: Exactly, Rob. And so with the SJ, when all the certainty has been taken away, like you talked about earlier, and they don't have any clear parameters for what's actually happening, and if the business will be okay, because there's so much uncertainty injected, you start to get negative idea generation from the SJ. So when things aren't going reliable or predictable or stabilized, the SJ can then go into negative ideation of, oh, you know, our business could tank or this bad thing could happen. And so where the ENTP, their ID generation tends to be on the positive side, when the SJ tends to go into an extreme realm of that, it's seeing the worst case scenario
2: in something. And and I think that's that's definitely our go-to, at least the STJs, um, is what's the worst case scenario. Um, And that's what gives us comfort is like, if we can get our arms around like at least having that be known, right? Because what we hate is uncertainty. So at least let us know what is the possible worst case scenario. And let's like analyze that and figure out how we're going to avoid that. And then use our focus on productivity to avoid that. Um, it's definitely not a party when there's a whole bunch of uncertainty and it's like, yay, it's the world is our oyster, and let's figure out this whole new path. It's like batting down the hatches, what are we gonna do? You know, it's a very different approach.
0: Yeah. And as Rob said earlier. He tends to trust until you lose that trust. And I think that applies for ideas too. Rob tends to have trust in his ideas until they don't work out. And then it's like, oh, okay, I've lost that trust for that idea. Whereas for the SJ, it's the other way around.
2: I'm going to assume negatively until it proves itself positively. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. You're spot on. Good point, Joyce.
0: Hmm. And so I'm curious, what are your favorite things about each other?
1: Uh, well, I mean, apropos of what we're describing here today, it's the um, the grounded, realistic perspective that counterbalances out the sort of chaos that I bring into the equation, uh, and you know, I, I value that. Uh, I look forward to improving an idea through uh, Carly's perspective to end up with something that's better. We often talk about like the the initial idea is like the the raw ore that's been brought out of the earth, and if you want to turn it into something, you know, of high utility and high value, it's going to get hammered a lot. <laughs> uh, and so that's the process. Um, I also just a- amazed at her speed of decision making. Uh, so uh, it's really easy for her to look at a situation and be like, bang, this is the answer. Uh, and I don't I-, I want to explore a lot more, <laughs> uh, you know, before I can pull the trigger that quick.
2: Yeah. And I think that can be kind of confusing because it's like the earlier part of this conversation, it may sound like I'm slowing things down. And that may be on the um, sort of uh, strategy piece of like sort of the vision setting. Um, I may be a little like sort of I don't know if that's the direction we want to go, the big picture direction. Right. But once we get down into any level of sensor details, then it's very fast decision-making. So it's kind of depends which realm are we in? Are we in the big picture realm? And that's where Rob's much sort of faster and, and ready to like take lots of twists and turns. Or if we're talking down in the sensor mode where we're, we're making decisions about details, then I'm much faster. So um, yeah, I think there's a big difference there. But um, as far as what I really appreciate about Rob, I think um, I love I love his energy is his positive, optimistic energy. Like he just has this, um, this vibe that, you know, everything is, is possible. And there's just so many different ways to get to the right way and that we don't have to worry about whether it's just the exact right path. Cause there's many paths there. And um, so that frees him up to, to sort of be coming up with all these fun ideas. I sort of can get myself focused on like, there's probably one best path and let's figure out what that is. And that can slow things down. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's one of the things and just, just the, the, the volume of, of ideas, concepts, um, possibilities—that's—that's that's always coming out of him.
0: Yeah, that is a really sweet note to leave this interview on. Thank you, Rob and Carly, for coming out, and I heavily appreciate Type Coach. They're really good at implementing the Jungian typology in organizations because they understand that. People in the workplace, they need pairs of four to be interested in type theory. And so they teach temperament theory, which is SJ, NF, and NT. And they also bring you through the dichotomies in a very in-depth way. I highly recommend them. And they have stuff like stress courses, how types deal with stress, how to coach the 16 types, and just a plethora of different practical topics. I find because Carly is able to have the ESTJ perspective in the organization, there's actually a a lot of practical application in type theory. So if you want a place where type theory is actually actionable in real life, type coach is a really great place to explore. I did their training program. It's really rad. And yeah, thank you for sharing about the ENTP and ESTJ dynamic. It seems like the SJ need is to be reliable, to stabilize the system, to be dependable. And so as long as you're able to do that, they trust in you. So this is really teaching the story of how important it is to meet someone's core values of their temperament, because then you'll get their good side. So ESTJs can let loose and have fun once everyone is on task, has done what's needed to stabilize the system, or they can trust you to stabilize the system too. So then they can let loose finally, they can let loose and then they can actually not have to worry about things not getting done. <laughs> and so, yeah, once you meet the core values of someone, you get their good side. And when you don't meet their core values, you get a very strong visceral
2: negative reaction. So, yeah. Yeah.
1: Well said, Joyce. Well, it's been a pleasure to chat. Uh, Thank you for inviting us in and uh, we look forward to staying in touch.
2: Thank you so much,
0: Joyce. This has been lots of fun. And so that's a wrap. Thank you for watching Type Talks. My name is Joyce Ming and I'll see you all in the next episode. Bye.